You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. And Bruce Nolan. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. And along with me, as always, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. And the draft is in the books. It's done. Yes, Mr. Frodo. It's over now. It is over after months and months of of talking and in your case actual work and, <laughs> and and effort and me just sitting here nodding silently to everything everybody says. It is over. The draft is in the books. It has actually happened, and I will say I enjoyed it. You know, I I I don't know that I've gone on record and said this to the listeners, but I don't really enjoy the draft time of year that much, it's like six weeks too long for me because it's the same speculation over and over and over and over and over again. And the week around the combine is interesting. The week right before the draft is interesting, but the rest of it is just so wildly speculative that I I lose interest relatively quickly. But there are people like you and people who I think don't spend near as much time or have near as much expertise as you, but who are also just, they can't get enough of the draft. So no matter what camp you were in or somewhere in between, it is now over. How are, how are you feeling about that, Bruce? I feel good about it. I, I didn't get as much done this draft as I wanted to. I was really hoping this was going to be the year I was going to get, you know, somewhere between 250 and 300 players, you know, really scouted and notes taken on all of them. And I didn't get as many as I wanted to. That did not happen. I forgive myself for it a little bit because I am a part-time guy <laughs> at doing this, but I got sick about two weeks before the the draft. You remember that and that it really set me back as far as the the prep goes. And that really sucked. But it's a little bit like Christmas evening for me. There's a there's a weird sense of, OK, we did it and it was awesome and I'm happy. But now there's this weird void because you spent so much of your mental capacity and your energy over the previous two, four, six, eight, in some cases, 10 months really focused on this. And now you're like, okay, I need to fill this void. 
And I think it's different this year because we don't know when that void will be filled with real football again. And so you try to savor it every last minute you can because you don't know when you're going to see real football again. And so even though this wasn't real football, it was at least clips of real football. Like I made it made a conversation with my wife. I said, maybe I should do something where I should go back and we should like watch all the Bills games like every Sunday for the next 16 weeks. We should watch the Bills games from 2019. We'll watch week one, week two, week three. I don't really know what we're going to do, but I know Red Zone's replaying some stuff, but I haven't really gotten into that too much. But it, it's a weird void that needs to be filled, I think. Yeah, I, I actually that makes me wonder if I'm going to eventually if things get delayed as long as they they could be delayed, which we're not rooting for. But if that happened, if even I might wind up longing for the days of the draft simply because it's content, but I doubt it. No, no, no. <laughs> but it's possible. <laughs> I acknowledge the possibility, but yeah, no. And, and Anthony Marino. I don't know if he tagged me or if I just saw it. He did and he the draft network. Now I give them a total pass. This is their bread and butter. Like this they're they're called the draft network. But there's a right. 2020 what did you think you were getting. <laughs> exactly. So I don't I don't blame them. But they they already have a functioning 2021 mock draft machine that you can make picks on. And I posted the and I don't I didn't watch Star Trek. Did you watch Star Trek? Not really. As a no. kid, oh, okay. The character who is the large man with like the the strange forehead that's all wrinkled and he, he's he's dark complected and Worf. he's is that his name? Worf. Yeah, he's a he's a Klingon. Okay. Yeah. My brother well, was a, a Trekkie. Okay, so there's a picture of him with the text that says, "If you were another man, I would kill you where you stand." If you were any other man, I would. Kill you where you stand. And Anthony Marino posted on Twitter a a completed 2021 Bills mock draft. And my 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 response was exactly that. Like if you <laughs> were anyone else, I would I I can't. Please, dear God, spare me. I I need some reprieve because I just don't. It's just too much. But I'm happy to actually talk about the the literal things that did happen not the things that could happen not the speculation not this not that the actual stuff that happened so is there anything you want to say before we get started what i was going to do is i was just going to read off all of the picks and then we can rank them we can grade them you can give us your feedback i can ask you questions and we can go from there is there anything you want to say before we start that process we can go ahead and do that you can just name the picks we can do whatever you like we can we can rank we can go through our least favorite to most favorite you can rank them in chronological order we can do whatever you like well i'm going to go through the order in which they happened and then we will kind of reorganize with our thoughts and go from there so sure. just just in list form Round number two, pick number 54 overall. The Bills select defensive end A.J. Epinesa from Iowa. In round three, pick number 86 overall. The Bills selected running back Zach Moss from Utah. In round four, pick number 128 overall. The Bills selected wide receiver Gabriel Davis, UCF. Round number five, pick number 167 overall. The Bills selected quarterback Jake Fromm from Georgia. Round six, number 188 overall. The Bills selected kicker Tyler Bass from Georgia Southern. Also in round six, 
Number 207 overall, the Bills selected wide receiver Isaiah Hodgins from Oregon State. And then in round seven, number 239 overall, the Bills selected cornerback Dane Jackson from Pittsburgh. Okay, so, uh, okay, if we're just going to go, before we go pick by pick, let's go with... How did you feel about the Hall overall big picture? Fine. I felt fine with it. Uh, there weren't any picks that I was over the moon about. I really I liked the Zach Moss pick, and I was okay. I understood what they were doing. There wasn't any picks that really made me throw things at my television, and there weren't picks that had me running around my kitchen you know, with my hands out saying, Eagle, you know, from Scrubs. Eagle! There was none of that going on. So overall, I felt fine. It was a very relaxing draft for me. You know, when you go in and you don't have a, we absolutely have to take this here, that has a tendency to be a little bit more relaxing for somebody, especially someone who's as tightly wound as I am. So I was, I was okay with it. I felt fine about the draft. I'd say that. Yeah, I think there were definitely ways I would have felt much less good, primarily with the first two picks. I think from round four, five, six, and seven, you could have done a lot of things, and I probably wouldn't have had much of an opinion. But, you know, the only way that I would have felt really good or overjoyed is if, you know, let's say that there how many how many players are eligible for the draft on a yearly basis? It's hundreds, right? I mean, hundreds yeah. and hundreds. Okay. I know with some level of familiarity because of how the draft process goes and all of the time that we spend on it, uh, 24 players, <laughs> right? Like I, I, <laughs> I know, know that guy. He says, I know him. I know him. I know maybe 30 on the upside players that I have any sort of informed opinion about. The only way that I could feel really good about the draft is if somehow the Bills pick all those players. And even then, I don't feel good for any reason that's actually like intelligible. I only feel good because of my own familiarity and I'm allowed to have an opinion. Not that I actually like think this was the best possible thing or the best possible choice because I didn't put any work in. You know what I mean? All I did was listen to other people and have them share their opinions. So, but I, I am pleased with the positions that the Bills invested in. I guess I'm a little curious at quarterback. I, I, that was not an itch that I had to scratch in the draft. Kicker is exciting to me. Uh, and, you know, double dip wide receiver, running back two, and defensive end, that that one hits a soft spot for me because I have, I've gone on record and ranted about this for who knows how many times that I, I would love an upgrade over Trent Murphy. And A.J. Epinesa at least gives us that option. Now, this offseason, things are a little funky. Do you want to move on from a veteran when you don't need to? The $8 million isn't make or break for us, you know. So I, I'm a little bit softer than I was on draft night about about Trent Murphy's future being gone. But I think in an ideal world, in, in a situation where things were operating a little bit more normal, I would see the writing on the wall for him to take a step out. And I would be happy about that. But uh, okay, why don't we just start with AJ Epinesa? AJ Epinesa, we did not go through on Bruce's prospects who might be available at 54. We didn't do defensive ends or edge. No, we did not. And that was because you thought we had addressed it so much so through free agency that that would not be on, you know, the high radar for the Bills. 
I don't I don't think if Epinesa wasn't there, I don't know if we necessarily would have gone that direction at 54. I think we might have gone that direction at some point in the draft, but Epinesa being there, I think was clearly a BPA pick for Bean. I think he said as much on his conference call, the first four picks specifically were best player available. And so because of that, we didn't talk about him. Plus, I didn't think he would make it to 54. So there was two things stopping us from talking about him. The first one is I didn't know if we'd go edge at 54. The second one was if we did go edge at 54, I didn't think he'd be there. Gotcha. Yeah, I know a lot of – I mean, we talk about Curtis Weaver and guys like that. I mean, and, and mm-hmm. gosh, you know, how wrong were all of us about some of these players? So we'll talk about that tomorrow, though. We'll we'll do an episode about what everybody got right and got wrong, specifically Bruce. You know, I get to use my swing and a miss soundbite, which is one of my favorites. Swing and a miss. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so, okay, AJ Epinesa, in general, how did you feel about that? Or what do you think? How does he contribute to the defense? Uh, I'll let you just, you know, whatever you have to say about AJ Epinesa, share it with us now. I gave the pick a B plus on my personal grades. We talked about this. I talked about this on the Pat Moran podcast when we talked about grades. So let's quick talk about that real fast. Yes, I'm going to grade these picks. Yes, I recognize it's ludicrous. I'm going to do it anyway, because that's what people want to hear. So I'm going to give the market what the market wants, even if I think it's completely ludicrous, because that's what the market wants. The market wants grades. The market wants mock drafts. That's what the market wants. That's what I'm going to give them. I'm all about giving the people what they want. So that's what we're going to do. So I gave Epinesa a B plus. And the reason I gave Epinesa a B plus is I don't think he has necessarily the ceiling as being this elite terrorist pass rusher. I don't think that is what he's going to be in the NFL. And the natural response to that, when you said on Twitter, Nick, that, you know, Epinesa is probably not going to be a pass rush fiend. Somebody responded to you and said, oh, oh, uh, 22 sacks in two years. What was he thinking? We need to have a discussion right now about whether or not your ability to do something at the college level projects to your ability to do that at the NFL level. So the all-time sack leader in college football history is Jalen Ferguson. Timmy Chang was one of the most prolific passers in (laughs) college football history. So we need to have a talk about this. Just because you did something at the NFL, at the college level, does not mean you do it at the NFL level. The NFL draft is about projection of traits. It's not about what you did. It's about why you did it. And we're going to talk a lot about that when we talk about Jake Fromm. It's not about how many sacks you got. It's about why you got the sacks and is that reason, the why, is that going to still hold up at the next level? Because it's a different sport now. You're not playing a different caliber of competition. You're playing a different sport. That's how significant the jump is from college football to the NFL. And so with Epinesa, you have excellent compression traits. You have long arms. He's powerful. He does a really good long arm move. The bull rush is there. I think there's a quick inside move that I saw similar to Curtis Weaver's that I really liked, but he can't beat you in lots of different ways. He can beat you with power moves. He can beat you with hand usage, but he's not going to beat you around the edge very significantly and not at least not at the next level. Now he could at an occasion against inferior uh, tackles. At Minnesota, for example, <laughs> I don't know if you watched the AJ Epinesa versus Minnesota game, but go back and watch that. It's it's um, it's something for sure <laughs> to be able to watch AJ Epinesa against Minnesota. But this is a player that 
because of the whys, because of the combine and the athletic testing, and it just he didn't project overly athletically to the NFL, people were nervous that the production you saw in college was not going to translate, which is the reason why he was there at 54 to begin with. However, I have very little question that AJ Panessa will be a good to very good player for a very long time. You and I have talked about my propensity for really liking high floor players. This is one of those picks. I have a hard time imagining AJ Epinesa being a colossal bust. I do. I have a very hard time imagining that. Now, I also have a very hard time imagining him being a 12 sack a year perennial top sack rusher guy. I just Mm -hmm. don't. I don't see that from him because the traits aren't there. But to be fair, I mentioned this with Nate Geary. I mentioned it again with with Pat Moran when I talked to him. But I don't know why we would have expected Sean McDermott to go out and look for a 245 pound agile, speedy, bendy edge rusher because he signed Mario Addison. They drafted Coney Ely at the Panthers. They they made a, a maybe a man out of Charles Johnson. These are over six foot two, 275 pound power rushers. That's what they like. They signed Trent Murphy in free agency. Right. They've shown us what they like already. So I don't know why we would have ever mocked Julian O'Quara to them. Because I mentioned this before that I think if Jerry Hughes wasn't on the roster when McDermott got here, I don't think he would have gone out and signed him. Oh, I that's agree. Not his, that that's not his that's yeah. not his cup of tea. Right. Now Jerry Hughes has been a productive player. Like last year, despite how much we loved Brian Burns, not a chance in hell, right? Oh, like it's absolutely. Not- I loved Brian Burns. I absolutely loved him, but you're totally right. You're absolutely right. It, there's no chance of him looking at that and going, yeah, that's my kind of guy. That doesn't mean he's not going to make an exception here or there. But as a general rule of thumb, that's not their cup of tea. A.J. Epinesa is their cup of tea. There's only a few teams in the league that like a player like A.J. Epinesa. You know, Detroit, New England, Miami, Buffalo, maybe Tennessee. These are some teams who would like a player of that type. It's about finding the right fit. And I do think he's a good fit for this team. So I'm completely fine with it. I don't think there's this sexiness of a ceiling that you got with the Ed Oliver pick next last year with the Ed Oliver pick. You're like, what can't this guy do? Like what the ceiling is almost immeasurable for Ed Oliver, because quite frankly, I don't really care about the arm length with Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver is an absolute mountain of a man. He's, he's incredibly strong for being short and His arm length is not really all that much of a concern because of how fast his hands move. So I don't have that sexiness that comes along with AJ Epinesa. I know Brandon Bean said that as well, but it's just a good solid pick and I'm fine with it. I think of a, like a differentiation that I don't know that it's real, but between defensive end and pass rusher, like you use those two terms to describe the same people often. I don't know that I would use both of them to describe AJ Epinesa. Like he is not a he's not going to be a prolific pass rusher. He is a good disciplined defensive end. And obviously there is a tight, you know, compression that is that is the the sort of defensive end that he is, right? He's a guy who is supposed to push the line, push the tackles in sort of into the area of where Ed Oliver is doing his stuff. And then that creates opportunities between the two of them to create pressure on the on the quarterback that's in a different way than the speedy defensive ends going around the outside like Jerry Hughes. Yeah. And the other thing you have to understand is that speed rushers open up 
spots underneath for quarterbacks to step up and for rushers and draws. And they open up things in the screen game. And there is a downside to speed rushing. Everyone talks about it like there's if you don't speed rush, well, that's just a, you know, speed rushing is considered to be a superior trait to power rushing. And I don't know why that is. Ideally, you'd want someone who can do both, someone like Chase Young, right? But we weren't picking number two overall. But ideally, you'd like someone to be able to do both. But it's not like speed rushing is a intrinsically superior trait to power rushing and to hand usage. It's not. Now, ideally, you'd like someone to be able to do both because it gives an offensive tackle more things to worry about. And overall, that's going to make you more effective. You know, someone like Daryl Taylor, who I've talked about going into the draft, someone who I think can win around the edge and can also convert speed to power and can get an offensive tackle like Austin Jackson. We saw, again, A.J. Epinesa against Austin Jackson in the bowl game. You know, A.J. Epinesa got him off balance with a long arm quite a bit. And Austin Jackson did not do well when A.J. Epinesa got his hand under his pads and kind of sent him for a ride. There was a corkscrew move that was pretty, pretty impressive. And there's value to what he does. Now, that limits your ceiling because there's certain things you can't do, right? You're not going to be a super bendy, agile, flexible edge rusher. That's just not who you are. And because you can't do that aspect, that's going to limit your ceiling because the ceiling comes from the accumulation of the traits that you have. The less traits you have, the lower your ceiling. That's the way that works. We're going to talk about this when we talk about Jake Fromm, I'm sure. But when someone's, you say someone has a high ceiling or someone has a low ceiling, you're really talking about the accumulation of their traits. How many traits do they have? And if they have lots of traits, then you say that person has a high ceiling. And I don't think that's something we really have talked about, but I think it's something we should talk about and we should talk about it now. So we're talking about it. Yeah. Now, AJ Epinesa, in your mind, how does he affect the depth on the defensive line? Is he a guy who's going to start across from Jerry Hughes? Is he a guy who's going to, you know, uh, demand more snaps than, uh, I don't know, but than Mario Addison? You know, how does he fit into where we are? Or is it sort of like, no, he's going to take his spot in the second rotation and we'll see how good he is and that will determine where we go? I have a very hard time imagining A.J. Epinesa walking in the door as a starter. Very, very, very difficult time, especially with the trust that Sean McDermott has in Mario Addison from their time together. And in addition, because you have a defensive line who rotates this significantly, I don't think it really matters that much. I think he'll take a lot of snaps away from Trent Murphy, and that's where we'll start. Is a starter on this defensive line as far as the defensive end versus the not starter, is the split even enough it's like 55-45 or is it more pronounced than that? It's like 60-40. 60-40, okay. All right. And then round three, pick 86, running back Zach Moss out of Utah. This is almost going to sound like a rerun because we've talked about him previously. Mm. But – and we've talked about him on multiple formats previously, so maybe I'm going to feel like it's more of a rerun than it is for our listeners on this podcast. But how do we feel about Zach Moss? I gave Zach Moss an A-. minus. I think that Zach Moss, in my opinion, was RB6, and I think he was in a tier by himself. So the way I had them tiered is I had Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, and Jonathan Taylor in a tier. And then I had Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and Cam Akers in a tier under that. Then I had Zach Moss in a tier under that, and then there was a drop-off. 
And then after that, we got into the players like Anthony McFarlane, like Eno Benjamin, like Darrington Evans, like Joshua Kelly and Keyshawn Vaughn. And then a separate tier below that, which was like, 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 like Michael P. Ryan was there. James Robinson, DJ Dallas, JJ Taylor. And then b- beneath all that was the AJ Dillon <laughs> that the Packers picked in the second round. But I had Zach Moss in a tier by himself. And that was if you wanted somebody who was going to be a well-rounded running back that was not going to offer you a specialist, but still offer you starter level traits. That was maybe your last chance at getting one was him. I think after RB6, at that point, you get into either specialization with people like Anthony McFarlane or people like AJ Dillon, or you get someone who's well-rounded, but by well-rounded, I mean none of their traits are exciting, right? And so I think that Keyshawn Vaughn was like that for me. Keyshawn Vaughn was like that for me anyway. He was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with Keyshawn Vaughn. He's, he's, he's fine. But I think that that was the last opportunity for me to get excited about an RB2 who reasonably be on other team could be an RB1. I almost feel like we've talked about Zach Moss so much that there's a clear picture for what the future looks like, which is that we roll out there with a game plan week in, week out, that we don't feel like the running backs really limit us, aside from the fact that they're not big home run hitters. That's the one skill or trait that neither Devin Singletary nor Zach Moss really bring to the table, right? Like the the Mike Gillisley breakaway speed. And aside from that, they both have a certain amount of wiggle. They both have desirable contact balance. You know, Zach Moss has a little bit more power than Singletary. Singletary has a little bit more stop and start than Moss. But we're going to roll out there and we're going to platoon these two guys and split their carries relatively equally as long as everything goes as planned. And we're just going to see how dynamic they really are. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's what it feels like to me. We've seen Devin Singletary be very exciting often in 2019. And now we have a guy who is going to do that in a little bit of a different way, right? I mean, it's similar, but different enough that it's going to bring something else to the offense. I feel good about that. Is that a fair representation of what we expect to happen from this? Yeah, you're getting a compliment without getting a specialist. And that's something that I didn't think you would have the opportunity to do later in the draft, which is why I'm glad that because we passed on J.K. Dobbins, we came back and we got Zach Moss because I think he was your last opportunity, the last bastion, if you will, to be able to get someone who was a compliment without being a specialist. Someone who was a little bit different than Devin Singletary, but still had starter caliber traits, vision, contact balance, a little bit more downhill, like you said, a little bit less slippery, but all things considered, that's a fairly minor slider adjustment comparing the two. And so I think that this was a really a good pick. Now, you do have some concerns with Zach Moss. You have some concerns with some injuries that have creeped up with Zach Moss. So it's not a perfect pick by any means, but I think it was a solid one. Yeah. All right. Very good. Round four, pick number 128, wide receiver Gabriel Davis from UCF. Now, I did not. I Again, I... I don't drown myself in the draft coverage because I can't stomach it, but I tried really hard to be a good boy and pay attention to all of the people that I needed to pay attention to so I could have an informed opinion about the bills and the draft and the guys that maybe they were going to target. I did not hear Gabe Davis's name that I know of until Saturday, and that was actually Ryan Talbot tweeted it shortly before 
you know, the Bills picked and then ultimately selected him. So kudos to Ryan. Give us the story on Gabe Davis and then how did you feel about it and anything else from there? In very similar ways that Jake Fromm is the opposite of Josh Allen, Gabriel Davis is the opposite of the top three receivers on our depth chart. He is not a play them anywhere, line them up in the slot, have them separate in the short area. None of that. He is the exact opposite. He is a pure boundary perimeter receiver who runs a very limited route tree. And the routes are, I want to go as far as to say sloppy, but route running is not his strength, but he's big. He's strong. He has reasonable speed. He tracks the deep ball really well. And he's a vertical perimeter guy. And he's a little bit of a project. So think about the exact opposite of someone like Cole Beasley, someone like John Brown, right? John Brown has some vertical ability, but it's a different type of vertical ability. It's stack and get on top of you with the speed and then track the deep ball over your shoulder. With Gabriel Davis, it's build up speed and then use your body control and your hands to be able to make a play on the ball outside the numbers. And so Gabriel Davis is very, very, very different than the receivers we have on the field already. And I think that that's probably part of the plan. I think that getting some, getting away from some redundancy in the wide receiver position is probably valuable for this regime. And that's exactly what they got in Gabriel Davis. I don't want to associate Gabe Davis with these players because I don't think we have a positive impression of them, but it almost feels like we're going back to the Andre Holmes and Kelvin Benjamin experiment, right? Slower, bigger, contested, build up, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, it should be noted that Gabriel Davis is a low 4-5 guy, so he's not slow by any means. He's low 4-5s at 6-3 is pretty decent. I think that putting him in the same bucket as someone like T. Higgins, I think is more appropriate as putting him in the bucket with Andre Holmes and Kelvin Benjamin. But because those players were really only contested catch receivers. And they were only contested catch receivers because it was impossible to separate for the two of them. And so Gabriel Davis has some, some intriguing upside. I gave the pick a C because I felt fine about it. I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's fine. I get it. I see what they're doing. It's a project. I don't know if he can necessarily contribute in a lot of different ways right now, but he certainly gives us a bigger dynamic and he can absolutely walk in the door day one and play special teams, which I think is valuable. I think this is a direct competition for Robert Foster's roster spot with some potential for upside. If you said for whatever reason, Robert Foster didn't get on the field offensively, basically at all last year, we don't really know what's going on. It's still a little bizarre situation with Robert Foster, but for whatever reason, if Robert Foster continues to live in the doghouse, Gabriel Davis can take his job. Is there a concern with value here at all? And again, I I don't want to dip my toe into that too much, but you know, this guy that nobody had heard of or that I hadn't heard of, right? And again, I'm trying to just I'm just measuring this based on my own perception of how how plugged in I tried to be. This guy in the fourth feels a little rich whenever there were other guys like I think Gandy Golden and Peoples Jones who were on the board still. So Gabe Davis out of nowhere, how do we think about that? Brandon Bean says he's the best player on the board, so it wasn't a reach for need for him. 
it was reasonable for some other conglomerated sort of mock draft rankings. Like having Gabe Davis in the fourth was about where a lot of people thought he should go. I actually had a little bit lower grade on him. Not crazy, though. Late four, early five would have been fine for me. So this is not a crazy pick by any means. I actually had Isaiah Hodgins, who we picked in the sixth, a little bit ahead of him, believe it or not. So it's not bad value by any means, I don't think. I think it lines up pretty well with where people thought he was going to go. Is it maybe just then that the UCF is the reason that we didn't talk about him compared to, you know, Gandy Golden is coming from Liberty. Liberty's a very small school. Liberty's a certain kind of competition. Anybody who's making waves in the draft from that school is going to get a little bit of attention because of how unusual it is. Peoples Jones was from Michigan. Yes. So, I mean, big school, notoriety, people saw him play on Saturdays. And so there's going to be some conversation about him. You know, Gabe Davis playing at UCF, maybe he just didn't cross the average college football fans radar very frequently. And so maybe that contributed a little bit to why he wasn't a big part of the wide receiver conversation for this year's class. Is there any merit to that? I think if we hadn't traded for Stefan Diggs, you would have known who Gabriel Davis was. I think when we traded for Stefan Diggs, the the ravenousness, I don't know if that's a word, but whatever, that the 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 appetite that Bills Mafia had to dive into this wide receiver class was lessened a little bit, and they started turning their attention to other things, specifically RB2, corner, edge rusher, things like that. And I think as that happened, if you would have gone deeper into that class, for people who weren't necessarily the low-hanging fruit, like you talked about, Antonio Gandy-Golden's low-hanging fruit because it's a weird scenario where this guy who you know picked up bowling two months ago, bowled a perfect game, and is this crazy athlete, and he's from Liberty. You know, When you start to dig deeper into this class, I think you would have come across Gabriel Davis. So I think that's probably the only reason that a lot of people weren't familiar with him. All right. Very good. Well, we are three picks through the seven that were selected. Let's go ahead and take a quick break. We will come back and we will continue going through the Bills draft class. Stick with us. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick Bat, and along with me, Bruce Nolan. That's right. So we will pick up where we left off, which is the next pick, round five, pick number 167, quarterback Jake Fromm from Georgia. 
And you have strong feelings about Jake Fromm from Georgia. I have pretty lukewarm feelings about the Bills taking a quarterback in general, but you have strong feelings about the prospect. So go I, ahead and do, do that. Yeah, share your feelings about the prospect. I'll share my feelings about making a selection at that at that position, and then we can kind of mash them all together. So I gave the pick a C minus, which I actually thought was fairly fairly controlled of me. Generous. <laughs> I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. It's fairly fairly generous of me. Um, I did not like the Jake Fromm pick by any means. It was my least favorite pick of the draft by by a marked margin, and for me. One of my problems, and I think we should have a good conversation about this right now, is that when you draft someone to be a backup, okay, when you say, oh, well, you know, he's, we're going to draft him as a backup, okay, what do people mean by that? What they mean by that is they anticipate him being a game manager. Typically, that means you have someone who's smart, who has a pansy arm. That's typically what you mean. They're unathletic, but they're smart, and they've got a terrible arm. Those are the things you mean when you say you draft a backup quarterback, which I think is insane. If you don't draft a player with the idea that he can start games for you meaningfully, then you shouldn't draft him at all. You shouldn't draft a player who you know is inferior because he's smart and has a pansy arm. You should draft starters. That's what you should do. You should draft people you think have a chance to start in this league. And Jake Fromm, I don't think, has a chance to start meaningful games in this league. I don't think he'll ever be somebody's preferred starter. And there's a reason for that. Number one is he lacks the arm strength. Arm strength, And I understand that arm strength is a little bit overrated. We kind of fall in love with the cannon a little bit. But there is a certain threshold that needs to be there in order for you to make the throws. And the reason that is, is because if you don't have the arm strength, when you go to push throws, you go wild. Think about Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick has succeeded in being a, a kind of a, a pesky starter for a lot of years, mostly because he's smart, he's tough, and he's crazy aggressive. And I want crazy aggressive in my backup quarterback. I want my backup quarterback to introduce as much chaos as humanly possible into the game. I do not want him to manage the game. That is not what I want my backup quarterback to do. We are talking about Bruce's preferences here, and I'm getting on a soapbox about specifically Bruce's preferences. I want my backup quarterback to throw an absolute curveball to the opposing team because I have just introduced a significant hindrance to my offense's ability to stay on schedule. And that is, I just put in a player who basically saw no time. So I want a playmaker as my backup quarterback. I want someone who can make plays with their legs, and I want someone who can throw a great deep ball, and I want someone who can introduce a level of variability that gives me a chance to win this game. Because if I'm not going to get the level, the threshold of competence, then I at least want the variability necessary to be able to have my highs and my lows which is why Ryan Fitzpatrick is one of the greatest backup quarterbacks maybe of this generation, because he can come in off the bench with being completely cold and throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns. You could totally do it because he has that aggressive mindset and he's just going to go out and do it. But if you don't have the arm, your accuracy starts to fail. And that's what happens with Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm throws a couple really nice balls. He throws really, really good bucket throws places where there's touch required he has a really good understanding of trajectory, and that's great. He throws an unbelievable back shoulder throw. So both of the throws that Josh Allen really, really struggles with, Jake Fromm is really good at. 
which I think is kind of ironic. But anytime he has to throw off platform, he's he's toast. Anytime he's got to move around, he's he's toast. Anytime he has to step in and drive a throw and get it lift, get it lifted over a linebacker, but have it fall beneath a safety, he's toast. There, we absolutely overstate Jake Fromm's accuracy. The, I hear people use terms like pinpoint accuracy. I'm like, are you? Are we watching the same player? Jake Fromm was a game manager on a run-based offense in college. In college, he was a game manager of a run-based offense. What do you think he's going to be when the stakes are raised? There is, there is a level of, there's a level of shiny new toyness that comes with Jake Fromm that frustrates me a little bit because if you're not evaluating him as a starter, then you shouldn't evaluate him at all. You shouldn't draft him if you don't think he has a chance at some point to be a starter. I don't believe in drafting people with the idea that they're going to be a backup because that's all they can ever be. Now, if the reason they're going to be a backup is because you have a really talented starter, then great. But you shouldn't take someone with limited physical tools and say, well, you know, we look at him as backup anyway. And that's what we did. In best case scenario, I think he's Colt McCoy. Worst case scenario, he's Nathan Peterman. That's where we're at now with Jake Fromm. And so I'm not a fan of the pick. I have no problem getting a QB2. You and I talked about this. I have no problem getting a QB2. I do have a problem getting a QB2 who I don't think has a high probability of being successful in the NFL. Now, again, that's a very strong take I just had. But Jake Fromm does have good things he does. I mentioned the two types of throws that he does really well on. He's very smart. He has good leadership capabilities. And that's great. But I think the probability is low, and I think there were players you could have taken who had a higher probability of being able to give you the type of winning football you need. I have no opinion about Jake Fromm, aside from I can imagine quarterbacks that you have described that we have all seen play in the league. Duck Hodges comes to mind. Yep. Noodle arm quarterback, and so all you're going to do all game long is throw 50-50 balls, and eventually you might have a couple of weeks of success, and people get excited about the possibility of this guy having long-term success, and then eventually that comes home to roost and everyone falls back to earth. The only thing that I will say is uh, is I I was not a big fan. This is a totally like people are not going to like this take. That's totally fine, but uh, this is where my head's at. I. I care more than most about people just not getting crazy with demanding to see things that the team shouldn't do that don't make any sense. Because eventually, the pressure builds, especially if the team has a lack of success. It could be totally unrelated to what people are clamoring for. And I'll give you an example in a moment. But it's still if the team doesn't have success, this this fan pressure starts to build, and then occasionally organizations will buckle and they will show fans what they're clamoring for, ultimately at the detriment of the team. Here's what I'm talking about. Josh Allen starts to struggle. Jake Fromm makes the team. That's the first assumption we have to make because I don't think that's even a guarantee. But Jake Fromm has a nice preseason. Okay, he has a Jeff Tool like preseason, which a was Peterman preseason. 
yeah, sure, Peterman. Tool had even, I think, a better preseason, but a Jeff Tool type season, preseason, right? So he's successful scoring drives, all of that stuff. Okay. We get to the regular season and Josh Allen struggles. Maybe Josh Allen regresses. It doesn't matter what the situation is. Maybe Allen gets hurt. Okay. And people start to, they start to salivate and get excited about the prospect of seeing Jake Fromm. And the only reason is because things aren't going well, not because it's actually a reasonable attempt to make things go well, not because there's any sort of informed opinion that would conclude, oh, we're having a hard time on offense. You know what might help that? Jake Fromm. That is not a conclusion that I think most people would would come to if you have a reasonable understanding of who he is and what he's all about. Nonetheless, that sentiment will start to build and it will start to catch fire and it will gain momentum. And then you start to get all these people who are clamoring to see Jake Fromm. Now, this is a point where Josh Allen really starts to, to, to struggle, right? And if we get to that point, the decisions, you know, maybe he doesn't come back from that anyways. And so what does it hurt to see from blah, 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 blah. Okay. I get all of that. All I'm saying is that there's no reason for us to create an environment where that sentiment could be stoked. There are already people who call the, the call WGR and say that Barkley should start. There were people who were calling saying Tyree Jackson should see time. I mean, it's just quarterbacks. I don't know what it is about quarterback. I guess I do. It's, it's, it's the, the, the fact of how prominent the position is, but people start to want to see these guys who have no realistic reason to expect their, to them to be successful. As soon as the guy who's in there starts to struggle, even if it's a temporary struggle. So that's why I was hesitant to endorse the idea of any quarterback being selected because we are ride or die with Josh Allen. That's what we have to be right now. That's what's in the best interest of the organization is ride or die with Josh Allen. Even if he struggles for two weeks, we don't worry about it. We let him ride it out and see if he comes back. That's what we have to do. What we don't want to do is run into those two weeks and then people are saying, well, you know, we really should let's see. Maybe what what if we see what Fromm has to offer, right? The rest of the team's really good. Maybe Fromm can get us through. That is exactly what I will hate. And even if he comes in, here's the other thing that could happen too. Allen gets hurt, okay? He has to sit out for half a game or two games or whatever, even a short period of time. Fromm goes in and he throws a couple of those nice bucket throws. He throws a couple back shoulder throws. He throws some throws that are not Allen's easiest bread and butter. What are people going to start doing? They're going to start clamoring, oh, Allen couldn't make that throw. We should put Fromm in. Again, this is all a huge hypothetical, and I'm thinking seven steps ahead, but it is something that I just think is inevitably going to happen if Fromm makes the team and if he does see the field and if he has any semblance of success. Now, if he Nathan Petersman's himself out, then you can't, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. But if not, that's where I, I think we could go. And it could have been any prospect. It didn't have to be Jake Fromm. It could have been any other prospect that the Bills selected. The same thing could have happened. And it's why I was always lukewarm about him as the backup quarterback. I always feel most comfortable when you have a starter who is not like the, the jury is out, but you want to you want to let him develop. Get us get a backup that is a known commodity 
And there's going to be very little appetite for people to clamor for them to start. And that's what we already have in Matt Barkley. And it's something I'm comfortable with. So anyways, that's that's my two cents on on the Jake Fromm pick and the quarterback pick in general. I understand that. The way I see it is that that stuff's going to happen anyway. That stuff, you already said it happens with Barkley. I mean, if that stuff happens with Barkley, it's going to happen anyway. You might as well get the best backup you can, knowing that that crap, as annoying as it is, to have to deal with that, especially as content creators, people who answer questions from fans and things like that, as annoying as that is to deal with, it's going to happen regardless. So if it's going to happen regardless, you might as well have the best backup you can to deal with any injury issues that come across, especially when you have a talented team who has deep playoff run aspirations. I don't want the season to be sunk if Josh Allen's out for four weeks. And that's the thing. I want to have a QB2 upgrade. I, I pounded the table. For a QB2 upgrade, I said as we finished up free agency that QB2 and CB2 and RB2 were bigger needs than wide receiver four. So I would have been completely fine drafting a quarterback in the fourth round. And I had on a couple of my mock drafts done so because that's how strongly I felt about it because I'm going to have to deal with that nonsense anyway. I have to deal with it with Barkley. So if we have to deal with it anyway, and if the organization is going to have to deal with it anyway, you might as well have the best person you can. My preferred backup quarterback situation would have been trade the fifth for Andy Dalton. That would have been my preferred thing because whatever success Andy Dalton has had, he definitely can step in and help you if you have to, right? I mean, he's he would be a premier backup quarterback, A. But B, he's a known commodity. There is not a whole lot of like wondering, ooh, what could he be? Do we have a diamond in the rough? Like That, that ship has sailed seven times with Andy Dalton and sunk every time. So it is over. Like the, 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 the jury has come back. They have gone home. It's been six months. The verdict is done. Done, right? That is what I would like at the backup quarterback position. But Andy Dalton is still a damn good quarterback, at least I, in that in that in that trajectory or in that uh, category, I should say. I think you're underestimating the clamoring that would happen for Andy Dalton if Josh Allen were to struggle for a couple weeks. I think people would say, "This and this is a Super Bowl team right now. All we need is competent quarterback play, and we're not getting that." But Andy Dalton could give us that. Yeah, it's possible, but I I guess. It, I, at that point, then you're really you're you're scratching the one itch that you have, which is get me the best possible guy. I mean, that's yeah. that's a that's a pretty Andy Dalton's, you know, that's about as good of a backup quarterback as I think you're going to get in 2020. Oh, okay. Absolutely. I just don't know if he could be had for a fifth, but I would have been all I would have been all for it. Plus, he's a local hero. I mean, come on, man. I think we <laughs> like him funny. better than Cincinnati does. It is. I know. That's true. That's true. OK, we're, we spent so much time on that. Let's move on. Kicker round six. Pick number 188, the Bills selected kicker Tyler Bass from Georgia Southern. This kid has got a cannon. I mean, he's already a social media. I mean, people probably know more about him on social media because of social media than they do about Gabe Davis because he there's videos of him just booming 65-yard kicks and 55-yarders with no, with no uh, stepping into it. So tell us about Tyler Bass and how do we feel about it? Tyler Bass is my favorite kicker in the draft. I preferred him to Rodrigo Blankenship, and I think that there was a kicker from Utah State who I looked at. There was a, I did not look at the kicker from Marshall that the Patriots got, so I have nothing. I have no in, input on him. But the the thing about Tyler Bass is that he kicks a really really high field goal, and so it carries. So you wonder if the wind's going to affect him more than it would affect other people. But 
I don't think you could say for certain that Stephen Hauschka didn't deserve competition this year because I think he absolutely did. I would have preferred a punter because I think the gap between Braden Mann and our current punter crop is significant. And the gap between Tyler Bass and Stephen Hauschka would be probably less significant. But I have no problem with this pick at all. I think that anyone who went to the senior bowl saw Bass and Blankenship kick next to each other and said, oh, oh yeah, Bass is clearly a better kicker. And I I think that I'm a little shocked that Rodrigo Blankenship didn't get didn't get picked at all, but I'm all aboard the Tyler Bass opportunity and have him come in here and compete with Hauschka. And if he if he does well, let's let's do it. I gave the pick a B minus, by the way. So that's important because I gave the pick a B minus. I think I've I've shared my grades for all of these picks. It's a B minus. I mean, it's a specialist, but it was appropriate value for a specialist. It wasn't, in my opinion, it wasn't a great kicker class. It wasn't like there was two or three absolutely monstrous, amazing kickers. But Tyler Bass is a perfectly reasonable kicker at a position of need at a reasonable value. So for me, B minus. I don't have much of an opinion about Tyler Bass and drafting a kicker. I'm glad we drafted a kicker. I think that when you draft a kicker, if it works out, you're set for a decade. And I don't think anybody feels like we're set for a decade with Steven Hauschka. I don't think people really feel terribly confident that we're set for 2020 with Steven Hauschka. So uh, totally fine with it. I mean, the last kicker that we drafted was Dustin Hopkins, which didn't work out for us because he got hurt, but he's having a very nice career. I believe he's still in, in DC. Yeah. So I, I, if we had had Dustin Hopkins right now, this wouldn't even be a conversation if he had just worked out when we drafted him. You know, it wouldn't even yeah. be a it wouldn't even be a controversy. So hopefully that's what Tyler Bass does for us, and I'm I'm fine with it. Round six, pick number two hundred seven, wide receiver Isaiah Hodgins from Oregon State. This is a guy you said you actually had him ranked, despite being taken almost a hundred picks later and two rounds later. You actually thought he was a better prospect than Gabe Davis. Yeah, by just a little bit. I gave this pick a B plus. I really enjoy Isaiah Hodgins. I think that he fills a need that is weird on this Bills team. And that's we have good slot play with Cole Beasley. We have a really good slot receiver. We don't have a big slot. We do not have a big slot. That's what she said. (laughs) We don't really have a big slot receiver. Now, you know, Dawson Knox could be that potentially. You could flex him out in the slot and do some work there. But we don't have a big slot. And I think that Isaiah Hodgins allows you to do that because the big question with Isaiah Hodgins is can he get off press? And if you play him from the slot, I don't have to worry about it. So I think that there's a role to be had for Isaiah Hodgins. He catches everything. I mean, and with a team that struggled with drops last year, having a player of Isaiah Hodgins caliber would help quite a bit. He catches everything. He has good body control. He runs surprisingly good routes for a guy who's that tall. And I think there's something to work with there. If you can help him get off press a little bit, I think that there's I can imagine Isaiah Hodgins being, this is going to sound really hyperbolic. I can imagine a world where he's Juju Smith-Schuster. I can imagine a world where he's Juju Smith-Schuster. I can totally imagine that. Now, I'm not saying that's where he's going to be. Please, please do not, you know, quote me badly there. But having a big slot player is valuable in this league. And we have an intriguing separation slot player in Cole Beasley. He's an effective player. I like Cole Beasley, one of my favorite players on the team. But 
having a big slot is valuable, especially if you get down to the red zone and you get someone who can who can have those kind of hands that is necessary. And in addition, you you can match him up specifically against corners that you feel like you have an opportunity again. This is a matchup based league and having more tools in your tool belt is better. And I think that's what Isaiah Hodgins gives you. Nice. Yeah, I love the idea of, a, of an inherent mismatch in the slot, not simply because of skill set, which is what Cole Beasley is, but because that most slot corners are slightly smaller. I mean, that's part of the reasons why they talk about corners should go inside versus play boundary because of size and length. So if you're already playing against competition that you know, by most standards is perhaps going to be a little bit undersized to put a big guy in the middle like that with good hands. That's very desirable to me. You've, you and I have talked about this before. When we talk about getting defenses into formations and personnel groupings, they don't like if the worst player on your team is your nickel corner. I really, really, really want us to make sure we're in three wides as much as humanly possible. If you have a really good nickel corner, who just happens to be really small, then let's just roll out Isaiah Hodgins on him and let's have some fun with that. He's a matchup piece, and I think there's value there. I, I don't know if he's necessarily going to make the team. I think he's going to be in competition there, but I can I can imagine a path where he is an effective player, and that's really all you can, you can hope for. And in the, in the back half of day three, if you're in the back half of day three, the best thing you can hope is I can imagine a scenario where this person contributes meaningfully to the team. That's it. That's all you can hope for. And that's what I got. What's your grade for the pick? B plus. Awesome. And then round seven, pick number 239, cornerback Dane Jackson from Pittsburgh. Give us the breakdown on Mr. Jackson and how we feel about it. If you're super aggressive, but you don't necessarily have the physical tools that make you ability, give you the ability to be super aggressive and not get in trouble for it, you get Dane Jackson. Dane Jackson has the right mentality. He's a he's a physical, aggressive player. He just doesn't have the recovery speed and the dynamic size and the dynamic change of direction ability that allows you to do that and not get yourself into trouble. Dane Jackson has the right thing between the ears, and I have no doubt that's why they picked him. I think he'd be an immediate player who can come in and compete on special teams, and I think you could play him in the slot or you could pay him, play him at the boundary. I think he has the right skill set for that. He's a smooth athlete because he's a multi-sport athlete previously in his career, and he's not an overly dynamic one, but he's a smooth mover, and I think that there's a possibility that he's rosterable, and your seventh-round pick, that's... That's about all you can hope for. There's a possibility that he's rosterable. I think he's good value. I think he very easily could have gone middle of day three. He went at the very, very end of the draft. So I think there's good value there. I gave the pick a B minus. All right. We will talk more about corners in tomorrow's episode about what we got right and what we got wrong. Cause I've got a, I've got a soapbox. I want to stand on with that. So, but I think that's where we'll leave it for today. Unless you want to give us a ranking. So you gave us a yeah. grade for everything, but if you were going to rank from most favorite to least favorite picks, what would it look like? My most favorite pick was Zach Moss at an a minus. <laughs> Second was AJ Epinesa at a B plus. Third was Isaiah Hodgins at a B plus. Fourth was Dane Jackson as a B minus. Fifth was Tyler Bass as a B minus. Sixth was Gabe Davis as a C. And the seventh was Jake Fromm as a C minus. 
So even though Dane Jackson and Tyler Bass had the same letter grade for you, you actually liked the Dane Jackson pick more. Bigger need. Bigger need. Same thing with Isaiah Hodgins and AJ Epinesa. Isaiah Hodgins and AJ Epinesa both got B pluses, but AJ Epinesa filled a bigger need, so he got a higher ranking. Got it. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, we will go ahead and leave it here and we will head back and see you guys tomorrow in the podcast feed as the second episode of the week for the Nick and Nolan show drops. Thank you so much for joining us for this one. Please let us know what you think of the pod. Leave us some reviews. We've got it's a little bit of dry spell with reviews. If you like what we do and you haven't already done so and gone online and like said so on the iTunes store, that would be awesome for Bruce and I to see some comments about what you think of the pod and what you think we ought to do and all that kind of stuff. So hit us up there. You could find me on Twitter at NickBat, N-I-C-K-B-A-T. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. And until tomorrow, whenever we come back, uh, you know, it's interesting. They're always playing the on social media. You know, the Bills start sharing all of the reactions and stuff like that of the different draft picks and, and their welcome messages to Bills Mafia and stuff like that. I don't know if you saw the one that AJ Epinesa left. So he greeted Bill's Mafia, said he was so excited to come and all that. But then I think he thought the video was turned off and it wasn't. Uh, And for some reason, this was the last thing that he said. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Designers and devs, you might be able to do your thing better on Wix Studio, a web platform with everything you need to deliver bespoke sites hyper-efficiently. Design teams get a ton of smart features that can take the grind out of web creation without it costing per-pixel control. Dev teams, you get a zero-setup, developer-first environment combined with an AI code assistant and your preferred IDE for rapid deployment. Search Wix Studio today to explore the full range of features.